tuning in. Welcome back to the Last Chance to Dance podcast. I'm your host, Gus Elvin. My co-host, James Turner, will be on in a minute. It is episode four of the pod. We've been out for uh, over a week now for the holidays, so we apologize for that. We're back to talk college basketball. We're going to discuss and recap the ACC Big Ten Challenge that happened last week. Talk about some disappointments and surprises in college basketball. Um, and then look into some other games that we're looking forward to this week. James, how's your week going? And uh, welcome aboard. Thanks, Gus. Yeah, week's going pretty well. Doing a trip up to Boston this weekend to seeing you and some of our Cuse buddies. And I'm sure we'll be talking and watching lots of college basketball. But yeah, had a good Thanksgiving holiday. How about you? Yeah, no complaints. Uh, worked a lot over the uh, break, so... Just kind of stayed local, but it was nice. And like you said, a podcast or two ago, nothing better than uh, a lot of preseason tournaments during uh, Thanksgiving week. So Feast Week lived up to the hype. A lot of good tournaments. We, we gave you a lot of good picks. If you've uh, been following us on the Twitter account, LCTD Pod. Again, we're just we're just giving out winners only here. And uh, over Feast Week, two of us were feasting pretty nicely on a uh, pretty gaudy record. Yep. First thing to talk about this week, like we always do, uh, we kind of pick one topic from around the world of sports. Doesn't necessarily have to be college basketball. Uh, I'll kick us off this week. Um, I'm going to go with a college basketball story. This was something that I don't think I've ever seen in college basketball. This was pretty unprecedented, um, but maybe not that surprising, which I'll get into. This is Brad Davidson, guard for Wisconsin, an absolute gamer, taking five offensive fouls drawing five charges in one basketball game against nc state in the acc big 10 challenge there doesn't get anything more big 10 than taking five charges in a game i'm sorry uh brad davidson is a actually a pretty good basketball player but taking five charges is somewhat absurd i mean i get taking one or two Five in a game, it seems pretty excessive. There were some serious flops going on from Brad, but I'm going to give him the credit. This is this guy's a gamer. Played last season with a uh, pretty serious shoulder injury. Grit City, Big Ten. And for me, this, this is one of my new favorite players. You commit to taking five charges in a game, you are a nuisance. And in the Big Ten, this guy is going to be one of those players that just gets under people's skin, gets up in you. Um, and he's shown so far that he's willing to, to lay it on the line for his teammates. I don't know if it's a good thing that you took five charges in a game, but it's impressive to say the least and something I've never seen. So shout out Brad Davidson, Big Ten Strong, uh, Grit City, Wisconsin's Brad Davidson's uh, my uh, under the microscope topic of the week with maybe a, a stat that I don't know if we could, it's able to track this down, but something that I've definitely never seen before. Yeah, I'm sure uh, at least a few of those were borderline and probably blocks. But uh, yeah, pretty impressive that he was able to take five charges. Pretty much the uh, the epitome of um, the uh, Wisconsin's kind of nickname, the Buzzcuts. Uh, he just looks like a, a, a Big Ten player, but also looks like kind of a, a high school player playing amongst uh, college guys. One more thing while we're on this. There's another Bohannon in the Big Ten, which, I mean, these guys, how many are there? I'm, I'm assuming this is the last one. We had two that played at Wisconsin. We had another one that played at Northern Iowa, and now we have one at Iowa. Uh, their dad played football at Iowa. The Bohannons are just Big Ten through and through. 
Um, and every time you think these guys are done, another one pops up. And, and this one's actually a very good player. So uh, shout out to the Bohannons who bringing up Wisconsin and two of the brothers previously played at Wisconsin. Now that was now I, Iowa has a Bohannon and Jordan Bohannon. Um, these guys just don't seem to go away. And there seems to be about 10 of them in this family. Yeah, kind of like the uh, Zellers. They just kind of keep popping up. My under-the-microscope topic is on a high school player who recently made history. So I'm sure lots of people have seen, because it hasn't just been in sports news, but also mainstream news. Uh, this kid's been on morning talk shows and has had a, a ton of uh, coverage uh, done about him. But uh, Caleb Bennett is a high school basketball player out of Little Rock, Arkansas, and he became the first player with autism to get a D1 scholarship, uh, and he got it from Kent State. He's a 6'10 center. He's moving to Ohio with his mom, and one of the things that's pretty cool about this is he wants to use kind of his platform with with having all this kind of media attention and, and coverage to inspire other kids with autism to be able to do whatever you want, even, ha- even with having this condition. He chose Kent State, too, largely because of the school's commitment to autism awareness. And just some facts about his diagnosis and just how incredible this is. As a kid, uh, it was believed he would be one of the 25 to 50% of people with autism who would remain nonverbal throughout his life. And then also the early diagnosis showed that he may never walk. And I mean, now he isn't just talking and walking, but playing basketball at a high level and actually getting a uh, Division One scholarship is pretty remarkable so it's quite an accomplishment and looking forward to seeing uh Kalen's success on and off the court yeah i echo everything you say here this is incredible i haven't seen Kalen play basketball yet but he has a fan of me already and a huge breakthrough uh like you said for other kids with autism in various sports that they can kind of dream and still believe that they can do things that other people might say that it were, that were impossible. So Kalen Bennett definitely changing lives. I mean, we look forward to uh, seeing him next year. And, and he definitely has, I'll speak for you, two fans on this podcast for sure. Yeah, definitely. Shifting over to the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Um, this is, like we said, was a little bit a while ago, but we're going to go over kind of what happened this year, break down some of the games. Um, and kind of just give a little bit of a quick recap of the uh, the yearly tournament. Uh, this year, the Big Ten kind of bounced back after losing 11 to three in 2017. The Big Ten had a uh, pretty impressive showing. I think going in, a lot of people would have tabbed the ACC to win this again. Um, the Big Ten split the series seven seven, which I still think is a is a win for that conference. And when everyone kind of has been bagging the Big Ten in the preseason, uh, the Big Ten showed here that uh, maybe they're a little better than we thought. They might not have elite teams. Michigan looks like the one elite team so far. But they have some depth in that conference. Seven teams currently in the top 25. Um, And in this tournament, they, they kind of acquitted themselves pretty well. Yeah, a lot of people now are saying that the Big Ten is the uh, is the best conference in college basketball after uh, splitting with the ACC and the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Lots of good games were played uh, last week and and uh, quite a few upsets as well. We had uh, Penn State beating number thirteen Virginia Tech. Louisville won at home against Michigan State, 
and then you also had a uh, some some big time matchups. Uh, one that I'm thinking of specifically was uh, UNC at uh, Michigan. Thought that was going to be a closer game than it was. Michigan just kind of flexed their muscle and, and really showed uh, the country just how good they are. Oh, one other upset. How can I forget is uh, Rutgers winning in Coral Gables against Miami. I don't think anyone saw that coming. That was a uh, that was a heck of a win for uh, for the Scarlet Knights. Yeah, the big win for the Scarlet Knights, who've been competitive so far. The couple Big Ten games, they uh, they were competitive. The rack was rocking last Friday for the game with Michigan State. That's a, a really good building to watch a game in if Rutgers is good. It, it doesn't happen often, but we'll see if uh, Rutgers can kind of get some stuff going there. Steve Peichel uh, is a guy who's been a winner at Stony Brook um, and looks like he has a little bit of a buzz around that program again, which would be nice, and I know the Big Ten would welcome that. Uh, considering uh, how Rutgers has been pretty much a doormat since joining the league. Like you said, the, the theme this year was just close games. Uh, Ten of the 14 games were decided by single digits. Um, you mentioned the Michigan-UNC game, and Duke-Indiana was also a blowout. So the two big games on the docket kind of fell through. But the other 12, 10 of those were, were real tight. And I think the league will be happy, and both leagues will be happy, excuse me, and you really can't ask for anything more than so many tight games. The home teams dominated. Um, I think home teams were 10-4 and four in the 14 games. And like I said, really only the two blowouts in the big games, UNC Michigan and Indiana Duke. But pretty much a, a dream scenario for both leagues. The, the games are good. They were competitive. Um, the Big Ten kind of bounced back. So now there'll be some pressure on the ACC to kind of assert their dominance next year. And I think if we had to pick a winner, despite it being 7-7 overall, I think the Big Ten was the big winner here. As they kind of stole a few games, and they kind of put themselves in the shop window as one of the better leagues in the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and just one last point. We also had a few teams that, um, even though they lost, kind of showed that they have some potential this year, as well as possibly making it to the tournament. And two of those that I'm thinking of are NC State, who gave Wisconsin everything they could handle in Madison, as well as Maryland, who took on a really tough Virginia team, got down big, but fought back, cut it to four a few times, ended up losing the game, but they showed a lot of promise as well. So those two teams, I don't know if they're going to make a run in the the ACC or the Big Ten, but they're definitely going to give teams tough games night in and night out for the rest of the season. So that was the last point I had on the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Moving on from there, just want to cover a few newsworthy items, some things that have happened over the last week, week and a half since we have did our last episode. First one I want to mention, which happened right around Thanksgiving, was uh, Darius Garland of Vanderbilt. Uh, Tours meniscus is out for the rest of the year. Going into the year, he was probably the number one draft prospect for point guards. So... Definitely a big hit for Vanderbilt, who ended up losing to NC State uh, last week. And you could kind of see that they didn't look like the same team without having Darius on the floor. If there's any silver lining for him, this happened early and hopefully he can recover, get back to working out and, and building strength back in his knee before the draft. But yeah, so Darius Garland out for the year uh, was one kind of newsworthy item to mention. Yeah, another one on the just updating you on the ongoing FBI college basketball corruption scandal. According to a report from ESPN's Mark Schlebaugh, the attorneys are kind of fighting this and saying that they're 
clients, specifically the three assistant coaches, Arizona, uh, Emmanuel Book Richardson, Oklahoma State's Lamont Evans, USC's Tony Bland, should not be charged with federal crimes that they may have violated NCAA rules, but that it, it didn't get to the level of a federal crime. So that'll be interesting to follow. This doesn't seem like it's going to end anytime soon, but just the latest update is that the attorneys representing the five charged in the FBI corruption scandal are kind of arguing that this shouldn't be treated as a federal crime and should be more just an NCAA issue um, that these guys are already paying the price for. One other thing that happened this week on Monday, uh, Furman was ranked for the first time in their school's history at number 25 in the country after beating uh, Illinois Chicago and Villanova at the Pavilion this year. They're undefeated, played actually last night and got a win. So kudos to Furman for kind of coming out of, not nowhere, but they weren't expected to, to have this type of year and, and, and good for them for finally getting ranked for the first time. Yeah, they've been, they've been impressive. Beating two Final Four teams is uh, something I don't think many people would have expected heading into the season. Uh, the Paladins uh, look like the real deal. Jordan Lyons is a uh, big-time scorer for them. And we've talked about it before. The SoCon is really effing good this year. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see which team can come out of that. It's going to probably be a one-bit league. We've talked about uh, UNC Greensboro on here, who gave Kentucky all it could handle at the weekend. The Citadel is 6-2. and two. Wofford um, already has a... Uh, a major conference win on their resume this year with your boy Fletcher McGee. And then Chattanooga is another team that you never know what you're going to expect, the team that could maybe sneak up on some people. That's going to be a good league this year, and it'll be interesting to see which one of these teams is able to survive and come out of it because whoever does could be a potential uh, potential Cinderella to win a game or two in, in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I'm not sure Furman has any... Uh any other non-conference opportunities to beat some ranked teams or I'm actually, I'm actually looking at their schedule right now. They have one more uh, kind of major game December 21st. They play at LSU. Okay. Um, who fellow SoCon member UNC Greensboro took to overtime in yeah. Baton Rouge. So mm-hmm. uh, don't count out the Paladins there either. Tremont Waters and Nas Reed are, are dynamic one, two punch for LSU, but Furman's beaten two quality teams before. A fellow SoCon member, Greensboro, gave LSU all could handle. So watch out for Furman, and and they've been kind of one of the biggest stories this season through about eight to ten games. Yeah, if they can go into conference play undefeated and win that regular season conference, then there's going to—it's definitely a possibility they could get an at-large bid. Probably not, but if they could beat Villanova, LSU, Loyola— and uh, and even some of those SoCon teams, they're definitely going to be in the conversation, even if they don't win their conference tournament. So yeah, it'd be interesting to kind of see how that goes. And then I think there was just one more item you wanted to touch on that happened last night, right, Gus? Yeah, we had one more uh, injury last night. Uh, could potentially be a, a big one. Kansas lot, looks like they've lost big man Udoka Azaduki for a few weeks. Uh, really rolled his ankle pretty severely. It looks like a high ankle sprain. Bill Self kind of confirmed that after the game. I've had a high ankle sprain. I've, it can be something that nags. A lot of times it can be better to break it um, in terms of the, the time frame. But it looks like he has a pretty serious high ankle sprain and could be out for uh, for several weeks. 
Kansas, obviously, still one of the 11 undefeated teams. Been kind of moving along pretty solidly. I mean, this guy just puts more pressure on Keelan Lawson and uh, some of the other guys they have in the front court. Maybe Mitch Lightfoot gets more minutes now. But Azaduki's uh, foot injury doesn't look like it'll be anything season-ending, but it looks like this is going to be something that nags for a few weeks. And foot injuries with big men is never good. Always a bit more severe when it's a big man involved. So uh, I'd expect Yudoka Azabuki to be out for several weeks after a uh, pretty grotesque-looking ankle injury last night in their game against Wofford. Yeah, we'll see what that does to the uh, Jayhawks, who didn't look very good against uh, Stanford, except for Legero Vic, obviously. But yeah, we'll see if uh, if they can continue to win without Azabuki or if they drop a few games with uh, with him being out. So moving on, we are going to discuss one team that is surprising us as well as a player that's surprising us and then go into uh, a team and a player that has kind of disappointed us for the first uh, month or so in the season. So Gus, do you want to start us off with your surprising team? Yeah, uh, to start... It's obviously early days here. We're really just looking at players extremely early. A lot of time for these guys to turn it around and these teams to turn it around. But we're looking at the first eight to nine games, teams that maybe were ranked and have fallen out of the rankings, teams that have kind of disappointed, teams that maybe have picked up a couple bad losses that are are kind of drawing eyes to. My team to watch that I think has been most impressive has been Arizona State. This was a team that lost a lot from last year. They lost their top three guards in Trey Holder, Shannon Evans, and Cody Justice, who accounted just those three for 57% of a tournament team in Arizona State's scoring last season. Bobby Hurley has just completely rebuilt this team through freshmen and transfers. And Arizona State currently uh, are undefeated. Uh, They have a big game Friday night against Nevada versus a fellow undefeated team. So that'll be kind of one of the big games to watch for this weekend. They boast wins over Mississippi State and Utah State so far. And they've been kind of one of the biggest surprises for me. But Gwen Stewart, who's averaging 22-7, and has kind of burst onto the scene, a freshman from Canada who's also a guy that is really shooting up NBA draft boards. Kamani Lawrence has taken a big step up as a sophomore. I'm a kid from Providence who's averaging about 15 points per game. Rob Adams, a transfer from Cleveland State, has been impressive. And Zylan Cheatham, who was a physical specimen, big recruit at San Diego State, kind of transferred home here for his senior year, and he's having a big year as well, uh, 12 points per game, had a triple-double recently against Texas Southern with 14 points, 13 rebounds, and 10 assists. Uh, Remy Martin, Romello White, and Tayshawn Cherry round out a pretty uh, deep Arizona State team that has a lot of talent in the backcourt. Bobby Hurley was obviously one of the best guards in college basketball. He seems to be a coach that is living by the guards. He did that at Buffalo. He did that early on at Arizona State. And he looks like he has some really good ones this year in Dort. Edwards, uh, Remy Martin. They have some a big part of their schedule coming up. Like I mentioned, the Nevada game Friday night. They play at Georgia, at Vanderbilt, and uh, versus Kansas coming up. So big stretch for Arizona State. But right now they look like the real deal, and, and they look like a team uh, that could really make some noise in a Pac-12 that doesn't uh, seem to have kind of a dominant team right now. Yeah, Lugens, Lugens Dort has really impressed me he physically he looks just like Raleigh Hawkins in my opinion but he can really shoot the ball which just looking at him you wouldn't expect him to be that great of a shooter but uh he, he lets it fly and he he's been 
he's been getting buckets. So I've been really impressed with him. Another guy is uh, Kamani Lawrence, I feel, has really stepped up for them. With the guys you mentioned before leaving when they were there last year, I don't think he didn't really have a big role on the team. But this year, I think he's really stepped up, made some big shots, and has really helped them. So, yeah, Arizona State's been a really fun team to watch. Uh, keep an eye on them, especially since Gus said can't really find a dominant team uh, in that conference. Uh, my most surprising team is a squad out of the Big 12, Texas Tech. So Chris Beard's team lost a ton of talent from last year's squad, namely senior Keenan Evans, who averaged almost 18 points per game. And then Zaire Smith, who crazy athlete, ended up leaving early to go to the NBA, which was uh, quite a surprise for the Red Raiders. Sophomore Jarrett Culver is the only returning player to average double figures, and yet this team is 7-0 and and ranked 13 in the country. They're probably, along with, I guess, Kansas State, the best competition for Kansas in the Big 12 right now. So pretty impressive that uh, they lose their pretty much two of their top scores, and they haven't really missed a beat. You wonder how how that's possible. One answer to that question is Jarrett Culver has really stepped up his game as a sophomore. He's now averaging 19 points per game. Another factor is they've gotten some much-needed production from primarily two, but it's really a trio of transfers. Uh, Center Tyreek Owens, who transferred from St. John's, I feel like this guy's been at almost every college in Division One. I mean, I think this is his third or fourth school in, in five years but he's had his best year of his career so far. Guard Matt Mooney transferred from South Dakota. And then they also have a wing Deshaun Corporu, who transferred from South Plains College. Owens right now is averaging eight points per game and uh, three blocks per game, which has really been uh, his calling card in college. He's been an eraser on the inside, on the defensive end. One game in particular I just want to mention was over the weekend they played Memphis and uh, – they were down nine at halftime. He really came in and gave them a lot of lot of big minutes, lots of energy, and had eight blocks in that game, which is quite impressive for one player. Usually you hear about maybe eight blocks for a team is a pretty, pretty good stat, but for one player, it's really impressive. And that really led to Texas Tech going on a run and outscoring uh, Memphis by 20 points in the second half. So, and they ended up getting a pretty, pretty comfy win uh, with that performance. So Tyreek Owens really playing well. Uh, Matt Mooney has brought great experience to their backcourt. He's making smart plays kind of one after the other. One stat that I kind of noticed with him uh, that's really telling of how he plays is he's only taken 17 three-pointers for the whole year, but he's made seven of them. So he's really efficient, really smart player. Also just pretty big guard as well. So definitely helps them out in the defensive end as well as rebounding for a guard. And then he's averaging 10 points and, and four rebounds per game. And then the third transfer to Sean Corpru, he's kind of their six man, does a little bit of everything. But I think a big key to their success so far too is they have Corpru, Brandon Francis, as well as freshman Kyler Edwards all coming off the bench and giving them big minutes, uh, scoring the basketball, rebounding the basketball, playing good defense. So I think that's really been a key for uh, Chris Beard's squad in uh, in this undefeated uh, season so far. One guy you can't forget about is the Italian stallion, stallion David Moretti, who's made quite the jump from his sophomore to junior year. Point guards averaging 10 points per game compared to barely four last season. And uh, one final note on the Red Raiders is 
similar to last season and all of Chris Beard's uh, teams. The Red Raiders love to get down into their defensive stance and just guard you. And that's been kind of a trademark for Chris Beard is playing great defense. Uh, and this team takes pride in, in how they play defense. And I think this wouldn't this team wouldn't be undefeated if their uh, grad transfers who came in didn't buy into that philosophy. And, and Tyreek Owens, who's a shot blocking machine, and then Matt Mooney have bought into this philosophy. And I think it's going to help this team uh do some pretty great things this year and, and, and possibly make a run in uh, March. Yeah, Texas Tech is not a traditional basketball power. They went over 10 years without an NCAA tournament bid before Beard got there. And I think that just shows how good of a defensive coach Chris Beard is. Replacing a guy like Keenan Evans is something that w- was thought to be kind of too hard for Texas Tech. A lot of people thought they'd take a step back this year. Zaire Smith as well, a freshman, one of the best athletes in college basketball this year. And they've done that. Uh, transfers have played a big role, as you've said. And Texas Tech, for me, was was definitely one of the biggest surprises as well. We kind of talked about some potential ones, and it was Texas Tech and Arizona State. I think are the two biggest from major conferences so far this season. Shifting over to uh, players, I think, that have been the biggest surprise. I'm going to say two guys for honorable mention uh, before I get into my uh, main guy. Tyshawn Alexander from Creighton. This guy has really stepped up this season, went from six points per game to over 19. He's shooting 45% three. He was great in their preseason tournament where they upset Clemson in the final. And the second one, maybe not a big a jump in terms of numbers, but in terms of the eye test and watching this team play, this guy to me has taken a massive jump as a player and grown into a role Michigan State really needed him to, and that's Joshua Langford. Last year averaged about 12 points per game. Uh, was always a good three-point shooter. This year, he seems a lot more decisive. He's making tough shots. Um, and Michigan State kind of needed him to emerge as a dominant scorer on the wing after losing Jaron Jackson and Miles Bridges to the NBA. And Langford has done that and more. Uh, we knew what we were getting with Cassius Winston. Up front, Nick Ward was a guy that was one of the better returning post players in the Big Ten. Michigan State needed Josh Langford to step up, and he has. He's averaging about 17 a game. Um, and still shooting over 40% from three. So those are two guys that I wanted to mention ahead of my uh, main guy here. Staying in the Big Ten, Michigan are 9-0, and uh, one of 11 unbeaten teams. They boast wins over Villanova, who was number eight at the time, UNC, who was ranked 11th at the time, and number 19, Purdue. The biggest reason for Michigan's success, even after losing Mo Wagner, Muhammad Abdurrahman, and Duncan Robinson is Ignis Prezdakis. The freshman from Canada has been a revelation in Ann Arbor. 6'7", 215, a guy who can put the ball on the deck. He's very crafty in terms of using both hands. He's ambidextrous, actually, which I think helps him a tremendous amount when driving. Um, he can finish with both hands. He's a, a good old Canadian boy. We've talked about, a lot about them. On this podcast, Canada's uh, basketball growth continues here in the NCAA game. Originally born in Lithuania, was a guy who had a big high school career, but kind of wasn't considered a, an elite, elite level recruit. He's come in as a freshman and become kind of a fan favorite in Ann Arbor. He's averaging uh, 16 and 5 per game, really shooting the ball well from all three levels, 55% from the field, 43% from three and 80% from the line. He has a soft touch. He has a bit of a swagger about him. He also has a snake tattoo, which I can relate to, and a bit of a dodgy haircut. But 
Ignis Brezdakis for me has been a guy that's really emerged this season uh, as a freshman and really transformed what Michigan's expectations and I guess outlook for the season are as, as he's come in and nobody kind of saw this guy coming. He was barely a footnote um, in most of your preseason magazines, but Ignis Brezdakis becoming a fan favorite in Ann Arbor, like I said, and really taking the Big Ten by storm. Uh, if you haven't seen him, check him out um, and check out Michigan, who I think we're a team that a lot of people are unsure of preseason, but they look pretty, pretty darn good so far this year. Quite the, uh, quite the intro there for uh, Iggy Gus, uh, but I get why you chose him. You two Slytherins unite, so continue, uh, continue to uh, to cast spells on folks with your snake tattoos, and um, yeah, enjoy that. But yeah, Iggy's been a great player. I really didn't know much about him coming into the year, but. He plays like a senior. He physically looks like a senior, but he's a freshman. And, uh, yeah, I think he's going to really help Michigan possibly get to the Final Four, even even win it all. So, yeah, he's been, he's been playing great uh, so far this season. My most surprising player, who, unfortunately, I don't have a matching tattoo with, but uh, I think our names both begin with J.A., so that's something similar that we both have. And, of course, I'm talking about Ja Morant. Uh, of the Murray State Racers, as uh, Gus and I's very good friend John Rothstein has posted on Twitter, you should have bought stock in this kid months ago. John Morant has uh, been a revelation, I guess. Kind of just came onto the scene without anyone seeing it, and has just blown up. The point guard for Murray State, he's had a hell of a start to the season. He's averaging 28 points per game, nine assists per game, and almost eight rebounds per game. Oh, and two steals per game. LeBron James-like numbers. Yeah. And not only that, he's incredibly efficient. He's shooting uh, almost 58% from the field. So averaging that many points and having that type of field goal percentage is ridiculous. He can literally do it all. He's shooting up draft boards as he's now number 10 in ESPN's uh, latest NBA mock draft, which, I mean, as a freshman, he showed flashes of what he could possibly be, but nobody anticipated him just becoming the man in his sophomore year. Just a couple uh, points to make about some of the games that he's had so far. So he, after recording a triple-double against Missouri State, Ja went for 38 points at Alabama. He has an incredible burst and is a freak athlete. Uh, he can blow by people effortlessly and is also a great passer. So not only is he using his explosiveness and speed to get to the hoop and score points, but he's also setting up his teammates where he's almost averaging uh, 10 assists per game, which is another really impressive part of his game. The only knock on him, I guess, is that his shot mechanics are a little off. They're not that great, but um, he can still knock them down. I think, I don't know if it was against Missouri State, but one of the games he recently played and he had six threes. So even if his shot mechanics aren't that great, he's still making making threes. And just kind of one final point on uh, Ja. But with Darius Garland now out for the year, Ja's probably the best point guard prospect going into the draft, which... If you had told me that, what, beginning of the season, I would have responded with, who the hell is John Morant? So um, pretty impressive that this kid's just going off and uh, kind of it kind of came out of nowhere. So good for Ja and kind of looking forward to, to seeing him continue to play well and, and possibly uh, 
lead the racers to a run in the maybe to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, you know my motto. You're down with OBC. Yeah, you know me. Uh, Murray State continues to produce these quality point guards. Isaiah Cannon, uh, Cameron Payne, and, and John Morant looks like the latest in that. Uh, they play at Auburn uh, coming up, so that's another game to watch out for. Look out for Murray State, and if you haven't seen John Morant, and maybe even if you're not a college basketball guy, if you're an NBA guy, check this guy out. He's electric, and Murray State's a very fun team to watch. Uh, shifting over to the other side of the coin, looking at some teams and players that maybe have got out of the gate slow, that have disappointed or maybe have been upset once or twice. West Virginia was a team that I thought about doing here, but uh, I shifted gears kind of focusing on not just this season, but what's gone on at Wake Forest over the last few years. Uh, Danny Manning has recruited well at Wake Forest, but in now his fifth season, it looks like it's going to be only one NCAA tournament bid in five years. The Demon Deacons are 4-3 and three so far this year, off to a very slow start with losses to St. Joe's by 20 points. Uh, they were upset by Houston Baptist at home, which was just a shocker and also lost to Richmond by double digits. Danny Manning is 58-75 and 75, uh, since taking the job at Winston-Salem. Obviously a terrific college basketball player, but in year five with just one NCAA tournament win, a 19-14 and 14 season, and after an 11-20 and 20 record last year, the seat is definitely getting hot in Winston-Salem for Danny Manning, and Wake Forest needs to do something quickly and t- to turn this around. Like I said, it's not a recruiting problem. It's not a talent problem. They have four top 100 recruits on the roster. Um, they've had other come through the program since then. John Collins is really the only one who's kind of made it at that level and then become, transitioned into an NBA player. He's obviously a young star for the Atlanta Hawks. But Wake Forest has been a big disappointment for me. Three tough losses uh, out of conference. And a team that's struggled in the ACC in recent years uh, you have to worry that they're going to really be in trouble this year. If you're losing to Houston Baptist in non-conference, the ACC does not look like it's going to be very forgiving. Danny Manning's remembered for 1988 and Danny and the Miracles. Danny needs a miracle, I think, at Wake Forest. as uh, He could be out after this year unless unless the Demon Deeks are able to turn it around quickly. Yeah, I think that's a good point about Danny Manning. I feel like a lot of schools feel that they bring in former college basketball or NBA star. These guys are going to be able to recruit, but just comes to them naturally as a coach. And that's not the case. Uh, like you said, I mean, it's not a recruiting problem. It's it's about coaching and getting these players to play good defense and run good offensive sets. I mean, if you're not a great coach tactician, bring in some assistants who are. That way you get you get a lot of the uh, the praise, but they're really the guys doing the work in the background. And you actually see it in, in a lot of college basketball games. You'll see during a timeout, the head coach isn't—he's not the one talking to the players. It's like their—it's their assistant coach. I'm not trying to ruin uh, Danny Manning's parade because great player and 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 Wake and, Forest has been has—I mean, they've been good in the past. It's just been the last the last few years uh, they really just have taken a step back. Um, but I don't know if it's something where he's going to be gone or, or or maybe he brings in kind of an, uh, an assistant who's a an offensive or defensive tactician, but he needs to do something and needs to do something quick. Yeah, it just seemed like maybe too much too soon. He only had two seasons at Tulsa before getting an AC job. First of those seasons, they're about 500. So really, he, he got the Wake Forest job based on one good year at Tulsa where they kind of got hot at the end of the year, 21 and 13, and, and kind of snuck into the NCAA tournament uh, with some good guard play. 
And I think that Wake Forest job maybe came a little quickly for Danny. And right now, uh, he's kind of facing a fight here to, to keep the job um, as the Demon Deacons are really struggling and they haven't even hit the hard part of their schedule yet in the ACC. Yep. All right. My most disappointing team so far this year is actually a team that preseason you're pretty high on. I thought they were going to do pretty well as well. Just a caveat. I'm talking about the Oregon Ducks. Lewis King, who is a top recruit for them, it has been out for the whole year. So when he he's comes supposedly back, getting close, but there's yeah. no timetable on when he makes his debut. But getting close is what Dana Altman keeps saying. And when he gets back, I'm sure they're going to be much improved. But despite having the preseason first team all pack 12 candidate Peyton Pritchard uh, and one of the top freshmen in the country in Bull Bull, Oregon is four and three and has lost two in a row the worst of those losses was at home against texas southern as well as uh over the weekend they lost at houston they were down pretty much from start to finish in that game and were able to come back and 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 cut the game to to single digits and eventually lose but i think it was four against houston but yeah, this team to me is uh, kind of puzzling. Peyton Pritchard, I think he's playing well, averaging almost 14 points per game. But especially with Lewis King not playing, I think he can do more and especially needs to step up his uh, three-point shooting. There was a lot of hype with Peyton Pritchard coming into this year, possibly being one of the top point guards in the country. Not saying that he isn't playing well, but I think he can step up his game to another level, especially, like I said, with Lewis King being out who would bring a lot of scoring to the team. I, I feel that he needs to step his game up. Bull Bull, though, is as good as advertised. He's averaging almost 22 points per game, 10 rebounds per game, and three blocks per game. But honestly, he can't do everything for the Ducks. Prime example is the aforementioned loss to Texas Southern. Bull Bull had 32 points, but the Ducks still lost at home 89-84. to 84. One other guy I wanted to mention on Oregon who... I think really needs to step up with this being his senior year had experience at Georgetown before he transferred is Paul white. I expected him to have a, a, a big year and really step up his game, especially with having ball ball in the center. I feel like some of the attention would have, would have gone more towards ball ball and, and it would have opened up things up for Paul white, but it hasn't really happened yet, but uh, it's still early in the season. And, and I, I I think the the Ducks can definitely turn around. Sometimes when a player as good as Lewis King comes back, it changes the whole dynamic of the team. I guess prime example, always shouting out our uh, our alma mater, but Syracuse has looked like a different team with Frank Howard back, especially on the defensive end. Everybody's just back to their natural position in that zone. And even on offense, guys are getting to their spots and making shots. I mean, you you and I were talking about it last night. We thought Northeastern would uh would give them would give them a tough game at home and then they just blew them out uh one by I think it was 23 points. So, um not counting out Oregon, but they uh they need to get things uh together pretty quickly. Yeah, Paul White's a good call from you. Uh a guy who shot the ball very efficiently last year, 47% from 3. Uh 47% from the field. And 35% from three. He's only shooting 38% from the field and 25% from three this year. But uh, Lewis King will be interesting to see how he beds into this team, see if that's kind of the spark plug they need. But Oregon's scuffling right now, and they could really use a win uh, this weekend against Omaha to kind of get back on track and snap that two-game skid. Finally, uh, our last section before we get into some of the games this week, a player uh, that's disappointed this year. And 
for me, the obvious answer here is Jalen Hudson from Florida. I'm not sure if it's an injury that we don't know about. It's a confidence thing. It's fitting in with new players and being a veteran this year. Jalen Hudson, the former Virginia Tech transfer, had a huge year at Florida last year. 15 and a half points per game. 40% three-point shooter was picked as a preseason all-SEC guy this year. And whatever is going on, he has completely fallen off in terms of his shooting. He's only averaging seven points per game this year, averaging about the same amount of minutes, and he's shooting 32%. Florida's been a big disappointment so far this year, five and three on the year. He's only six of 25 from three. Um, And a guy that was predicted to be an SEC guy all year, shooting 24% from three-point range. It's really hard to figure out what's going on with Jalen Hudson. The Gators are a young team, and they really needed a lot out of him. And it just doesn't seem like he's mentally right right now. Something seems to be going on. As such a good shooter, to be shooting 24% is shocking and really a reason Florida has been very poor out of the gates. Yeah, it's definitely between the ears with him. They played West Virginia last night, and you could even see. I think he missed all of his free throws even. Wide open threes, yeah. Something's just not right with Jalen Hudson, especially having a good year last year. So my disappointing player is uh, a guy who came, one of the top recruits uh, in 2017, came in with a lot of hype, but just hasn't lived up to it uh, in his first two years at Kentucky. And I'm referring to Nick Richards. 6'11", sophomore center, was rated number 17 in the 2017 class, but he hasn't looked the part so far, not just this year, but last year as well. Kind of tough to figure out what's going on with him, especially because he averaged 12 points and five rebounds in their four exhibition games in the Bahamas in August. So uh, lots of Kentucky fans are pretty encouraged and pretty excited to see what what he was going to bring to this team. Kentucky, we talked about beginning of the year. This is one of the the one of the teams in recent years that had quite quite a bit of experience coming back in their sophomores and then grad transfer Reed Travis. But uh, it's been more of the freshmen that have really stepped up. And uh, with Nick Richards, he's only averaging 12 minutes per game in their first seven games. And most recently against uh, UNC Greensboro, he played one minute, I think, at the end of the first half. So he's losing playing time to Reed Travis, P.J. Washington, and then freshman E.J. Montgomery. So he's number four right now in their front court depth. I don't think he's going to be getting many minutes unless he changes things around in practice. John Calipari has said that he needs to become a man. He just looks lost when he's out there, and he's for how big he is, he's a he's a he's a big guy, and he looks honestly soft. So it was supposed to be a big year for him coming back. I think Kentucky was hoping he was going to really step up, and and they were going to have a dynamic, not really one two one two three punch with uh, him, Reed Travis, and uh, PJ Washington, but that just hasn't been the case. Yeah, right now he can barely crack the rotation and get on the floor, so we'll see if that changes. But, yeah, Nick Richards just just hasn't lived up to the hype. Yeah, Nick Richards is a guy I saw play at the Hoop Hall in Springfield, uh, the Basketball Hall of Fame, his senior in high school. I and mean, he was a top-ten recruit and went against a fellow top-ten recruit, Wendell Carter, head-to-head. And Richards just looked, like, very, very, very raw. Just two different levels. Wendell Carter kind of ate him alive that day. But Richards seemed to make a breakthrough this year, like you said, in Bahamas. He was the talk of that tour, and everyone kind of wrote how Nick Richards was a different player and that he had really grown. But uh, once back stateside, it just hadn't seemed to translate so far. Uh, We'll see what happens with Kentucky. 
Cal usually has a way of guys kind of finding their way in and out of rotations. And Nick Richards right now is a guy that's on the outside looking in. Um, and we'll see how that goes on uh, going forward. Finally, uh, we're going to shift into some of the games to watch for this week. Like you said, you're going to be in Boston, so we'll probably catch some of these together. We'll start tonight. Uh, there's uh, two major games on. I guess three if you want to count uh, a little bit of a, uh, a rivalry game, I'd say, and, and VCU against former coach uh, Shaka Smart in Texas. We have Temple versus Villanova in a Big Five matchup. And we have uh, Washington versus Gonzaga late night at about midnight tip in, in the battle for uh, Seattle, um, a game that's been pretty good over the years. Yeah, I'll actually be at the Temple-Villanova game at the Pavilion, um, which I'm really looking forward to. This is Temple's best start since the 2012-2013 season. They came off a big win at St. Joe's on Saturday, winning by seven. And frankly, this is the best opportunity I think in yeah in the last six seven years uh, for any team any Big Five team uh, not named Villanova uh, to possibly win it. Villanova looks a little down this year. It's more just about an experience than anything. But if uh, Temple or or even St. Joe's is going to win the Big Five or win a share of the Big Five, they're going to have to beat Villanova. And uh, this seems uh, like the best opportunity that they've that they've had in a number of years. Just a few stats regarding uh, Villanova's dominance on the Big Five. They've won 23 straight Big Five games, and they've won five straight Big Five titles. So if Temple can pull out this win, it would be a huge deal for the Owls, as well as uh, be a nice nice send-off for Shiz Austin and uh, Fran Dunphy in their, uh, in their last years with Temple. One final thing to mention about that is we're talking about betting in the lines. The line right now is at 10.5. Which I get with Villanova being the uh, uh, reigning national champs, but they had a tough time with LaSalle at the Palestra over the weekend. LaSalle hasn't won a game yet. I think they're going to get a much tougher test with Temple. So I, I think that line's a little high. I was expecting it to be more between like seven and eight. So ten and a half, I think it's a pretty pretty good line for for the Owls. But you never know. Villanova playing at home, uh, rivalry game. Either their young players are going to really step up, or they're going to uh, kind of shy away from the moment. Like you said, this is the best chance that Temple, I think, has, or somebody not named Villanova to win that. Um, shifting to another kind of rivalry game in the state of Washington, Washington versus uh, Gonzaga. It's at Gonzaga this year. This is a game that was often played in Seattle at a neutral site, and they still kind of call it the battle for Seattle. But a couple interesting matchups individually. I'm very intrigued to see Matisse Thibel, uh, the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year last year. One of the best on-ball defenders I've seen in college basketball in a handful of years. He is absolutely relentless. Doesn't do a, t- a ton on offense. He's about a, a seven-point-per-game guy, but almost three steals, two-and-a-half blocks. He is something else defending the ball, and I think he's going to have a... Really good matchup tonight on Zach Norvell, just a pure scorer from Chicago. Very interested to see who gets the better of that. And down low, you got Rui Hachimura, the All-American preseason pick against another traditional post player who in Noah Dickerson, who just grabs his hard hat and lunch pail and goes to work every time out. Uh, Dickerson played at Montverde with uh, some of these other top recruits we've talked about this year, uh, Leaky Black. Andrew Nemhard, 
R.J. Barrett. But Dickerson, now a senior, has become just a a double-double machine for Washington and Mike Hopkins. And I'm very interested to see him and Rui Hachimura bang, as these are two very physical players that, uh, that could really go at it in the low post, kind of a throwback matchup. Washington, I think, has their hands full here against a very good Gonzaga team. But those two individual matchups, I think, will be interesting. Uh, to see, and, and we'll see if Washington can maybe give Gonzaga a bit of a scare. Yeah, the line's, I think, at 15 or 15 and a half. Um, so, yeah, wouldn't be surprised if, if Gonzaga blows this thing wide open. Uh, but Washington's got that 2-3 zone, so you never know. But Yeah, I think that's actually a good point, is maybe well, Gonzaga loves to shoot threes, and maybe that 2-3 zone gets Gonzaga to fall in love with the three here. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe some fool's gold early on. And then they keep get they get some shots in early and they keep firing. I think that's Washington's best chance for sure. Yeah. Um, like you mentioned, uh, just some other games uh, to kind of talk talk about real quick that are going to be occurring over the weekend. We've got Nevada and Arizona State is going to be on Friday. That's in Tempe, isn't it? Uh, it's at the Staples Center. Staples Center. Okay. Yeah, that's going to be. Hell of a matchup. Really fun game to watch. Two really athletic teams. Love to score the ball. So definitely keep an eye on that. Uh, Saturday, we've got kind of two two rivals or rivalry games. Wisconsin uh, against Marquette and then Georgetown at Syracuse. An old Big East bit of rival. As Gus said, I'm going to be schlepping my way up to uh, Boston to uh, watch uh, those games with my Syracuse brethren. But uh, yeah, Wisconsin, Marquette, big Really interesting game to watch. Two different styles uh, where Wisconsin's kind of plays slow tempo, solid defense, and uh, Marquette is pretty much run and gun. So kind of two different styles uh, to watch, which will be a fun game to to kind of to tune in for. And then Syracuse and Georgetown. This game to me, I'm, I'm not really sure what we're going to get, to be honest. Georgetown's looked good at times. They've looked bad at times. Syracuse, they've looked bad without Frank Howard, but they've looked good with Frank Howard. So... Yeah, it'll be interesting. Game's at Syracuse, so that should give uh, Syracuse a little bit of an edge with the home crowd. But um, Yeah, g- give me Syracuse with the points. I don't even know what it is yet. I'd say it's probably seven or eight. Yeah. Uh, I think Georgetown's benefited from a very easy non-conference schedule. Uh, I know Jeff Goodman really got on the Hoyas last year and Pat Ewing for a maybe a historically easy non-conference schedule. It hasn't been quite as bad this year, but pretty weak when you look at it. They played Illinois in one kind of major game, but Maryland Eastern Shore, Central Connecticut State, Loyola Marymount, USF, a program in disarray, Campbell, Richmond, and Liberty so far. So Georgetown's 7-1 and record. You might want to look a little bit closer at that one. At Syracuse, the Loud House will be... Uh, rocking for sure and I think I like the orange here to cover um, I think Georgetown's kind of taking a step up in quality of opponents and I think that's going to be a rude awakening for a very young Hoyas team under Patrick Ewing uh, and one final game to uh, to mention is kind of the the game of the the weekend or or probably even the week on Sunday you have uh, Gonzaga versus Tennessee should be a phenomenal game I think Great matchup. Uh, two top 10 teams that both just play really good basketball. Big mature players as well. So it's going to be a man's game kind of watching the Zags go up against the Volunteers. And we'll see kind of uh, what the what the line is for that game. I'm sure it's going to be uh, pretty close. Not really sure yet which way to go. 
just because of how close a game that could be. And uh, one final thing just to mention, if anyone tried out my uh, recommended Thanksgiving workout and it, and and it worked worked for him. Um, I know for me, I, I gained a little bit of muscle in uh, in my uh, biceps and triceps over the uh, over the holiday weekend. Body by James Thanksgiving edition is available not for thirty nine ninety nine, not for twenty nine ninety nine, but three easy payments of nineteen ninety nine. So uh, call and get your order of Body by James Thanksgiving edition at one eight hundred Jimbot. That's one eight hundred Jimbot. But For now, that's all we've got for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. Gus, look forward to seeing you this weekend and then watching some college basketball games. Good uh, cast again, James. We'll see you this weekend. And just one more uh, thing before we go. We've we've been telling you, we're giving out free money here at LCTD Pod. Our picks have been on fire, if you haven't been following. 28-11-1 on the season. Uh, Last Saturday, gave you five games. You parlayed those. You made a couple hundred bucks, uh, five and zero day. So keep following the picks. Uh, we're hot right now, and we can't force you to take them, but they're, they're free and, and they're coming in as winners right now. So make sure you check that out. Thanks yep. again, James. We'll see you this weekend, and uh, thanks for listening. Yep. See you guys. Bye.